I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hi, it's Leanne of the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Just a quick one before you listen on the episode. I want to make you aware of a a webinar that we're running on Friday the 13th at 2.30pm London UK time. The webinar is called The Corporate Athlete, How to Get Your Teams Ready for the Rigors of Business Life. And in it, we'll be discussing the concept of the corporate athlete, how you can prepare your teams by making them more resilient, by promoting well-being, making sure they look after their sleep, their mental health and their energy levels so they can be happier more productive and generally better human beings, which is great for them and great for your organization. So the way to register is to go to the show notes and click on the link or search for the Corporate Athlete Body Shot Performance Eventbrite, and that will also find it. So Friday the 13th, 2.30 to 3.30. We hope to see you there and enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and I've got a guest returning. He was one of my original guests on the show, probably two, two and a half years ago now. He is Pete Williams. He is an exercise and medical scientist who champions the functional medicine approach to making individuals more healthy. He has got a ton of qualifications, a BA in exercise physiology and master's of medical science. He trained with the Royal Hallamshire Hospital in Sheffield. He's a fellow at the Royal Society of Medicine. And his speciality is reversing the long-term effects of stress. He graduated from 2004 from the Institute of Functional Medicine and now runs an organization called Functional Medicine Associates based in Harley Street, which is where I think he's speaking to me from now. So, Pete, welcome to the show. It's good to have you back. Good morning. Good to be back. Yeah. Well, cool. We've just run through what we'd like to talk about off air, and I don't want to waste another minute With pleasantries, let's get stuck straight in because I know there's a whole ton of stuff I think people are going to really enjoy listening to. So the theme of this podcast is network medicine. Can you give me a fairly pithy definition of what that is? Well, I think relevant for today's podcast, I suppose if I take you back to where I first became aware of this, and this was a a paper by a chap called Barabasi Mm -hmm. that was in the Lancet in in the Lancet's uh, premier medical journal in 2007 and and the title was network medicine from obesity to the disease zone and really what he was saying about that is that he believes and many believe that obesity is a disease and a disorder that has an infectious nature to it Mm -hmm. and what he meant by an infectious nature he meant that from a network perspective and the network medicine is that humans can become infected, and again, not as infected like a classical infection, but an infection from the point of view of the people who they tend to associate with. What the study showed was that if you, by nature, have a friend who is overweight, um, Mm. 
by the simple nature of that relationship, you're 152% more likely to become overweight over time simply wow. because that a relationship. Yeah. And really this sort of started at us to understand that, as you know, humans, not just from a biochemistry, from a biochemical, from a genetic point of view, but also from the people that they choose to exist with, family, friends, and importantly, their colleagues. And I suppose the, the bigger picture after that is their organization. So what we're looking at is that humans have these multiple networks that influence their health either positively and negatively. And this was the, just a beautiful example of how, as you say, if you choose to have friends, and again, I know it's probably a a little bit delicate as a subject, but when we're looking at the science, if you are a normal weight person who has a relationship with someone who's overweight, by the very nature of that relationship, your chances of your health deteriorating from a point of view of becoming more overweight is mm. very, very striking from a point of view of the numbers. And, mm. and I think where we're leading into now, and, and again, this sort of led into the field of what we call social genomics which is another word for talking about network medicine, if you like. And it really is our friends, family and colleagues and organization have a huge influence on how we exist, mm. whether we're going to be healthy or whether we're going to actually have ill health from those relationships. So it, it goes beyond weight, doesn't it? It could be anything. Absolutely. It could be your propensity yeah. towards being kind, towards being aggressive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there are lots and lots. I mean, you know, I always get, I always give the great example. I have a very, very two very old friends, and they like a drink, Leanne. Mm. And as a consequence, if I want to keep that relationship, it's usually down the pub, and I'm not really a drinker. Mm. But I know I'm being significantly influenced, and social peer group and social pressures are incredibly strong because I go to that to that pub every time we meet, knowing quite well that I'm only going to have one drink, and yet I end up having two or three. Yeah. And so there is a negative influence of a social group. And so we're seeing this more and more, and particularly I think where we're going now with, with corporate organizations, they need to be moving into the understanding of how are we influencing our colleagues, our workers, from a point of view of maybe what is the purpose of the organization, where are we going, what are our, what are our values, how well are we being led? And that sort of expands it more and more away from the sort of fundamental basics of, of what we used to think from health from a point of view of foods which of course are very important you know exercise etc where we're starting to find as these more and more intricate networks that humans exist for and we need and we need to understand those in, in mm. a bit more detail and it's i think it's very relevant currently because i think the power of technology is for me, and I think if you look at science, becoming more and more of a, of a problem. Mm. So for me, the key for us is that, yes, we should absolutely be using tech, but the more higher tech we need to go, the more higher touch we need to go. Just um, explain a bit more about that. Well, if I take a couple of steps back and we can talk about basic biology and how that wires the brain and how that protects mm. us or mm -hmm. not. Cool. So the fundamental thing, again, that we understand about stress in humans is, is that human body's number one job every day, and it really is every second of every minute of every hour of every day, is to sort of look around the environment using our senses and say, am I safe in this situation? That's number one process. And that is driven by the stress hormones. So this is why we always have a problem with stress, because 
really the human body is just doing its job. It's making sure that it is interacting with the outside world and it's consistently telling you messages about am I safe or am I not safe? Mm-hmm. Now, when we exist in an environment, particularly London would be a great environment, particularly the corporate world, we all know inherently it's a stressful environment. Yeah. So what happens is that our brain, which is trying to be effective, why is our, our decision-making to say, okay, so life is inherently stressful, so therefore I need to wire my brain to be get more and more efficient at dealing with a stressful environment. The problem with that over time is what happens is that, in a sense, humans over all evolution have, have essentially developed three brains, and the sort of brains sit on top of each other. I talk about this and why humans are supposed to have been so, such a successful species is because we have now have this really big prefront, what we call prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. It's at the front. I call a prefrontal cortex the adult in the room because it's the one that sort of can make better decisions, mm-hmm. less emotional decisions, a little bit more experienced decisions making. And so we're more empathetic through the prefrontal cortex. We have more compassion. Now, that, the difficulty with, with that all the time is that when your brain is wired for more and more stressful environments, it starts to rely on its old brain called the amygdala. So we start to sort of make decision-making that is based on protection of self rather than protection of the group. And to do that, what happens then is we become more selfish, we become more narcissistic, we become less about the group and more about self. We lose compassion, we lose empathy. Hmm. So this is the difficulty with the world we're in at the moment is because while we're asking people to be more empathetic, to be more compassionate, we're in a catch-22, Leanne, because you've got to change everything. The whole social strata of how the way we live our lives has to be changed because our brain is wired for a stressful environment. And while we continue in a stressful environment from a point of view of how we're living now, we are always going to our brain's biochemistry and the way it's wired, it's, it's neurology and the neurons are all going, to, all going to wire to protect self. And we know from the studies that what happens as, we, as we're in more, more and more of a stressful environment is actually a lot of the signaling in neurons in the prefrontal cortex or empathetic, compassionate brain, they actually shrivel up. And what we see is that on the, the old brain, the limbic brain, the amygdala, amig- the and they all sort of, the signals, they're strengthened. And so physiology and neurology is strengthening to protect self more and more and more, the more stressful life gets outside. So this really has a huge responsibility for, for us as a, as a planet, for sure. But also when we're starting to look at corporations and organizations as well, is that at some stage we're going to have to make the change. Because that why is more for risk of mental health issues? Because... We're less empathetic. We're less likely to inquire about the tribe or protect the tribe. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we're in this catch-22 of how we're trying to change humans from a point of view of change the network, make the network more compassionate, more empathetic. Mm-hmm. And then when your body, the individual, goes out every day or thinks, oh, you know, work isn't so stressful and, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so has been a little bit more empathetic. Therefore, my, your brain will start to assess the situation. And over time, 
start to wire it itself again to be more from a point of view of our decision-making is prefrontal cortex decision-making and less from a point of view of the, the selfish brain, the sort of the old limbic amygdala side. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Are you saying then that organisations need to, when you say they need to change, are you talking around the approach to stress and the drivers that exasperate, exasperate stress? I mean, I guess that's just one facet of it, but is that the kind of thing you're getting at? Yeah, look, it's like everything. It's understanding that, again, when we're talking about networks, how pervasive networks are. So whilst we can work on an individual basis, if we're not taking into account or an organization is not taking into account the the sort of, I suppose, what's the word I'm looking for here? The purpose of the company, you know, the what's the word I'm looking for that describes the, the company it's what the mission, vision, values, the, the overall purpose. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, again, what we're trying to do is make work less stressful, more empathetic, because then we're going yeah. to get changes in the brain and we're going to get changes in, in decision-making. So that's what we're trying to do. So, it, it, so simply going in, and again, if you look at some of the strategies from mental health, it's, you know, talk to someone. Mm. Well, the reason why we're doing that is because there's a huge amount of research to show that, empathy from someone else has huge implications not only on the stress response but also on the biochemistry and all, also on the also from a point of view of hormonal perspective but yeah. you want a whole organization to start buying in and and the reality is this comes down to organizations having in the future having to make decisions about what are we doing as an organization are we just doing this purely as a business to make profit yeah. Or are we doing this or is it profit with a purpose where we look after our people? And again, yeah. it's understanding that health encompasses lots and lots of different strata and lots and lots of different networks that are all interconnected. And so I think that's where you start to, I think what's going to happen is that organizations are going to have to bring in people who can maybe give them the bigger picture a little bit more. Mm. Um, I look at certainly what we do from a, from a systems biology perspective, and we look at the whole aspects of health and wellness and medicine from a point of view of we are the conductor of the orchestra. We know how everything fits together. Yep. We may not be experts with regards to the woodwind section, and so you can bring someone in to understand that, or you know, we might not be good on the percussion. But we understand how it all fits together. And I think there is going to be, I do think in the future, what we're going to see is directors of wellness in larger organizations who have a systems thinking approach. A bit like, you know, system networks of how humans exist is not dissimilar to how companies exist. And, you know, I see companies as living, breathing entities from a point of view of, you know, they, they have a lifespan and a life cycle, very much they're very similar to humans. And I think there's a lot that organizations can can take from biology and systems in biology. Because if we look at that, we know we know that if we look at various aspects of systems, so let's have a look at what we used to understand about the heart. What we know about the heart is that actually beat by beat the more varied that beat is, the healthier the heart is. Mm-hmm. When we look at something like the, the microbiome, which again, if we look at where we're going with humans and networks and where medicine and health is going in the next two decades, it will be, it will be absolutely dominated by understanding our relationship with microbes. Mm-hmm. If we go on to understand where we've been as humans, 
we have to accept that humans now are being turned and um, what we call holobians. And a holobiant is where you have two different species or a collection of species in one body, if you like, existing for the good of both. And when we know about humans now, we know humans are more um, bacterial cells than they are human mm-hmm. cells. And so we, we have to accept that we've got this huge network, we've got this huge family, huge community. And if we keep all aspects of all communities together, they all work together for the greater good. And so we're looking at this from a point of view of a diversity of species. And how I look at that is that what we see there, if we go back to the microbiome, what we understand by the microbiome at present is that the more diverse the species of bacteria there is existing in our gastrointestinal tract, but all over the body, um, we know that it is more chance of being healthy the more diverse it is. Mm-hmm. So, so I always say to patients, look, this looks like, have a think about we want your microbiome to look like a, um, a rainforest as opposed to a cornfield. Because let's assume the cornfield gets attacked, the whole field goes down. Because yeah. it has a lack of diversity. And it's the same when we, we apply that to a rainforest. What we find there is that the rainforest can lose a few species. And it's not a real problem because it has a diversity and a flexibility in systems. And yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that, that what, what needs to happen to organizations is that they need yeah. to build organizational frameworks. But those frameworks ultimately need to be flexible and diverse enough to be able to respond to an ever, ever-changing ever business world. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's that kind of diverse. A lot of talk about diversity and inclusion now. Mm. I love the idea of the director of wellness that you spoke about a few minutes ago. Someone who can sit the top of an organisation, because I think well-being should be you know, a board-level interest, both the well-being of the board, but it should be the board and the CEO who, for whom well-being ultimately sits. It shouldn't be tucked away in occupational health or HR. But Well, I, I absolutely agree on that. And I think there's two things that I would say to that. Look, we understand that businesses fundamentally are there to, to make a profit. But I yeah. think we're moving, into an ind- we're moving into a world, aren't we, that we have a bigger responsibility for people and planet and everything else. And again, when yeah. we're talking about networks, we're talking about networks within networks within networks. And regardless of where you, where you decide to um, drop the stone in the pond, the ripple effect will go all the way across. Mm. So wherever we're, we're affecting things, it has a bigger effect somewhere else. Yeah, for good, for good or for bad. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So the, the key that I would say to all, if, if there are any executives listening to, going to listen to your pos- podcast, is that it is proven and proven and proven in the science that if you opt in to a well-designed strategy from a wellness perspective, the ROI returns are huge. Mm. So you're making money from that aspect of a well-designed strategy. Yeah. But again, you know, these strategies, and again, from my experience of being with organizations, it's a difficult buy-in at the moment because it is a bit like building a brand new business to say, here's where we want to go with this. Here's the time frame that we want to do this. Here's where we're going to need to invest in. But I absolutely agree. I think it's a bit like football, football, a director of football. You're mm. absolutely going to need to develop a director of wellness that yeah. sits above occupational health, sits above HR. 
Absolutely. I want to change direction slightly and talk a bit about connection. A book that podcast listeners will have heard me talk about a lot is Lost Connections by Johan Hari. I'm not sure if it's one you've read. But when we were planning this podcast, we were talking about connection and the importance of that in the context of network medicine or network well-being, if you like. Yeah. Just talk to me a bit about your thoughts on the importance of connection for mental health, for physical health and overall well-being. Well, I suppose what we tried to discuss just before when we were talking about how the brain is wired, we are in a bit of a catch-22 because if our brain is wiring itself to protect you, and that is because the environment is inherently more stressful, then we're going to have a society that continues to be more about self. So, so Which I think, I think we're definitely seeing. Yes, of course. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I've never seen so much conflict mm. in the world. And hate. And hate. And so, so there's a responsibility from a point of view of... You know, the, a lot of some of that is not our fault, Leanne. And what I mean by that is that if your brain is wired to protect you, it's wired for saying, "Wow, it gets tougher out there." Therefore, I'm going to wire you to be more selfish. But mm. we have a responsibility to make some decisions about connections and about how that is so important from a point of view of what we're doing with the world. Mm. Ultimately, um, what is the purpose of the organisation? How do we connect? What I would say on connection... Also, Pete, just just to jump in before you you go on, I I just want to stress, I suppose, it's not just connection to people or purpose or values. It's also connections to meaningful work, to animals, to each other, to yourself. Absolutely. To your family, to your friends, to the environment. There's a vast number of options in terms of connection, isn't there? Sorry, you were going to say your thoughts on, on connection. Well... If we look at humans' basic needs, and I think this is the what I always call the power of the tribe, and I think the very best example of this at the moment is probably what I call the Klopp effect. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, if you're watching what Jurgen Klopp is doing at Liverpool, which is brilliant for me as a scouser, yep. but everything he, he seems to be getting right um, from a point of view of... And I suppose the, the most enlightening thing for me to, that when I look at is the relationship that he has after the match. It feels like dad and sons, mm. and it feels like they'll do everything for him. And I, I firmly believe that what Jurgen Klopp is doing there is, is buying into basic biological needs, and that is, number one, protection of the tribe. Because, again, mm-hmm. if we take this back and we understand, it, it, this is almost sort of, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but also sort of our DNA is wired for protection, Leanne, because if we don't have the tribe, then we're less likely, if we go back hundreds of thousands of years, we're less likely to survive mm-hmm. on many levels. We're me- less likely to find food. We're less likely to, to ward off animals and other warring factions. We're less likely to keep warm. And we're certainly less likely to reproduce. So humans are, humans, human DNA is wired for connection. Yeah. And the real, the, 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 so this is why connection matters on a fundamental biological basis. And what it does, it takes you out of a stress response into a relaxation response. And it can be as simple as, I did a couple of lectures a few years ago talking about some of the social connection hormones, oxytocin being one of them. Mm-hmm. So oxytocin is the, is the hormone that we most know from a point of view of is, is what mum and baby connect with when she's mm-hmm. breastfeeding. And that is a social bonding hormone. But what we've seen is that a simple hand on the shoulder of someone who's having a hard day 
can release a significant amount of oxytocin and oxytocin becomes the, the yin to stress is yang. Really? So just as little, I know that the hug for held for 20 seconds or more releases oxytocin. Absolutely. Even with a stranger, but just a simple hand on the shoulder has been demonstrated to do the same, has it? So, and what we're not, we're not, not only are we seeing this, is we're also seeing effects on the immune system as well. And again, so, and wow. we're also seeing effects on blood pressure. So when we're talking about sort of traditional methods of how we're talking about corporate wellness, you can understand how suddenly we're going, wow, this is something that can really help us that is free of charge. Yeah. Not only, and not only makes the business more productive and actually makes humans more creative, more empathetic and nicer place to work. It's also so on every single network layer and level, this is starting to have an influence. Mm-hmm. So again, understanding how, what simple things like, and what's interesting about humans, we talk to each other on an unconscious basis mainly. So human communication is fundamentally unconscious. So you can go into any office or any day and you can just know the people who are struggling. Mm. And so, so I did something with a, with a group last year and really they brought me in to help them with resilience. And my first question was, there was a group of 35. I said to them, does everyone know everyone's name? And they didn't. And I said, so if we're going to talk about resilience, we're going to talk about connection. Surely we should spend a week with sort of stickers on us saying, I'm Dave or I'm Pete or I'm Claire. So that, because a lot of people don't connect because, oh, I've forgotten their name or I'm embarrassed. So it's like something like as simple as let's do a week with stickers on that, you know, where we encourage you to interact because the social, by the nature of the social connection, we can switch their stress response down. So there's, again, some simple examples of things that are well validated scientifically from a point of view of humans and connection and connection with the tribe and doesn't cost any money. Mm. And every single layer, every stage, what we're doing there is connecting. Mm. I think technology has a huge influence to play on this. And as I said before, I'm a massive fan, even though I'm a technophobe, I'm a massive fan of the benefits that technology can bring to organizations. And we are moving in a more technological world. But with the more tech we're going to bring, the more socially isolated we may get. And therefore, the higher tech, the higher touch has to happen. Otherwise, that gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, we have a very recent sad example, don't we? A time of recording. I think Caroline Flack took her life three or four days ago. And a lot of what we've talked about is, I think, relevant to that. You know, social isolation, social disinhibition, technology turning against us and disconnecting rather than connecting. And it's a very sad, tragic and extreme example of what we're talking about, but it's fresh in our minds. Yeah, and I think it's a really good example. And of course, obviously, on a, um, what we, we don't know anything from, from a point of view of the individual background. No. But the reason why we can't help ourselves going onto social media is because in a way our DNA is wanting to connect with a tribe. Mm-hmm. And so we keep going back, you know, and, and again, we also keep going back because maybe there is a, there is a reward for connecting through, the, through to the tribe. And then this leads us into some of our neurotransmitters like dopamine in particular, which is our reward hormone. Again, and gets depleted more and more in individuals as we become more and more socially isolated. And again, the word that they're throwing around at the moment is socially disinhibition. Mm. Um, which is a massive, massive factor. So there is a responsibility for us to become more connected, absolutely use the best of technology, um, but 
just do the basics, fundamentals that humans designed to do, and that's to be with other humans. Yeah. So, you know, these are definitely some things that need to be completely rolled out in organizations for sure. Yeah. But, but again, as you say, is that it comes to the point where people or organizations have to understand or be shown where we're going, where are the problems and how can we solve the problems with science. And I suppose the most important thing is, is that a lot of these strategies just don't cost any money. Mm. So on, on that then, we've got three minutes, three, four minutes left. What would be, in your opinion, let's assume someone's listening in and they're influential within their organisation. They run it, they own it, they're influential. What would be some of the key takeaways that you would want to leave people with? It really depends. What, I, what I'm, I'm keen to do is that from a point of view of in every aspect of looking after people, but looking after your organization and making the organization a better place to work and a more profitable organization is the connection between the employees and the tribe and the leadership and the board. And again, mm. I, think, I think if I bring it back to Jurgen Klopp, I think what Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool at the moment have done brilliantly is that their investors I've understood where they want to go. They've got clear direction and purpose, and they've put the finances in to be able to achieve, to be able to achieve that. And then they've got a, the, probably the best example of the conductor of the orchestra at the moment. Mm. And this man is a people person. Yeah. You know, that is absolutely clear. When you see his team at the end, he is literally hugging his sons. And everything about that from a point of view of just basic physiology and it feels right that he's doing that. There's also their the connection with the fans. Absolutely. With the club internally, I would imagine, as well. I mean, it is an, a wonderful example of leadership done brilliantly, isn't it? But I, It is, and I think the key on this is that people, and all the science shows this, is that the more you can connect with your employees, the more work they will choose to do for you. Yeah. The more time that they will, you know what, I'll cover for so-and-so, so it's not a problem if I've got to work half an hour after, after work because I feel as though I'm in with something and I'm doing good for my tribe. Yeah. So what can you do to people? It's getting them to understand. I think, Leanne, as you say, I think it needs people like you to go in and, and sort of start to discuss these aspects of where we are and what we're understanding with medicine, what we're understanding with networks, how it all fits together, you know, how we can have health and wellness from connection in particular. Mm. Um, and it doesn't cost anything. Mm. So, and again, where, where the balancing points are from a point of view of technology. And I'll give you one great example of this, but just to finish off, is that the all singing, all dancing diamond in the rough as far as a health tech company was a company called Arivale. Now, Arivale went bankrupt. And Arivale was probably the highest level of technology on an individual basis that you can buy and do and have everything tested. And so it's the highest tech and the highest technology. Mm -hmm. But having spoken to some of the people behind the scenes, because it went, it went bankrupt, I said to them, what, what was the problem? And they said, too much tech, too little touch. Right. So the example of that is if we are moving away from what humans are designed to do, that is relationships, connection, touch, or we're in an organization where we're developing more and more tech, 
Mm. We can't forget about the touch. And in fact, for me, the more tech, the more touch we have to go. Because otherwise, humans stop being human. Yeah. And then we have a real problem then because we lose all those fundamental connections. And then we see the sharp increases of what we're seeing now, and particularly mental health is a major aspect. And again, yes, we can look at the physiology and the the genetic predispositions, but humans need to feel safe. Mm. And they need to feel safe because they feel as though their tribe has got them. When their tribe has got them, they'll do more for you from a point of view of they'll help out Mm. and do more at work. All the evidence and all the science points like that. If you can build the right tribe, they will pay you back in buckets. Yeah, brilliant. I think that's a great place to leave it. As my sort of takeaway, I think, is if you have a lot of tech or even if you don't, just take a look. doesn't matter if you run organizations, you're not working at the moment or what, what it is you do. Have a look at the level of connection and the depth of connection that you've got in your life. You know, do you have a good network of friends and family and people that motivate and inspire you? Are you well connected to animals, to nature, to yeah. passions and hobbies and yeah. all that kind of stuff? Brilliant. Brilliant as ever, Pete. Leanne, can I just give you one caveat to end with? Yes. I absolutely agree with this. So with many of the executives that we tend to look after, there is one thing that I say to them is that you must have the ability to have sanctuary daily. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a stressful environment at work, you need to have that connection outside of work, whatever that is. And I said, you just reeled off various different aspects that it can. What we can't have is stressful environment and work going back to a stressful environment at home because then your brain never gets the opportunity to see the other side of the coin. Yeah. And then this is where we start to get into trouble over time. Yeah. Bang on. Thank you for that. Pete, your website is functional-medicine.associates. We'll put links to all your different social media, do some really good stuff on social. Thank you very much for coming back on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.